Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to Fire in the Belly. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined again by the Liz Rutledge. Good afternoon. Good morning to you, I should say. Sorry, we're all, we're different time zones here, so it's always confusing. Good day, Mighty Pete. Listen, Thanks well, again for having me. Absolute pleasure. Great to have you on. So let's give us a bit of background again. Who are you? What do you do? And where are you from? Well, my name is Liz Rutledge. Uh, first and foremost, I'm a mom, sister, daughter, wife, friend. And then beyond that, I, I live in Denver, Colorado in the US of A, but I've also lived in Boston, Atlanta, Sydney, Australia, all over the place, traveled all over the place and uh, just keep coming back home to Colorado. I have a business called Sustainable 3 LLC and I focus primarily on teaching mindful sustainability, which is sustainable, sustainable living on the planet, but also mindfulness about ourselves, our community and our planet. So I have a blog, I have an online course collection with Serena Bullard, who you've also interviewed and um, just very deeply involved in my community as far as sustainability goes involved with like street fairs and home tours and the, the high school after prom event and those kinds of things and just deeply deeply passionate about helping kids in particular find ways to alleviate stress and anxiety especially during this time so that's sort of my my deal why why mm. why am i so passionate mm. um very fortunate to be cared for most of my life. I have uh, had struggles, but I don't struggle. And I feel the need to like, I don't struggle as far as like finances because my husband has his, he's a management consultant. And, and so I feel drawn to use the time that I have to, to, support others in learning what I've learned over the course of my life. And um, as I mentioned in the interview with Serena, my great grandmother was into the science of mind, which is just odd for that generation. It's all about meditation and healing through basically, you know, thought processes and, you know, with the secret, you know, the, the book and the movie, the secret, thinking about law of attraction and how, and then like Louise, Hey, how we can heal ourselves. So I've, I struggled from basically birth with, um, health issues. And then at 35, I had this huge shift. And the biggest difference was that I let go of resentments of my mother and, um, got back to the fundamentals of what my grandmother always used to rattle off about thoughts or things, you know, and, um, everything is somewhere. She would say these things that just, and they've stuck with me. And I really think that she was sort of a guardian angel in my life. And since I've had time, like I haven't had to work a nine to five 
40 hour plus job to do what I do. I was able to be a stay at home mom and I'm now able to teach children mindfulness techniques and start to, and adults, how to recognize when, you know, we're going down a negative negativity rabbit hole, how to pull ourselves back out. And, um, there was a, as I mentioned in the previous interview, there was a, a suicide, a, a boy took his own life and actually it's kind of controversial whether it was a suicide, but he, a boy took his own life and it spurred this spark in me to be like, that boy had his whole life ahead of him. And, and, you know, suicide's a permanent solution to what hopefully is a temporary problem. So my hope was in teaching, I started with teens and then I moved to primary school children. And now I'm working with adults, uh, mindfulness techniques and resilience techniques on how to find calm in any moment. And also just go back to gratitude. You know, even if everything seems horrible, there's always something to be thankful for. I can see, I can hear, I can taste, I can smell. I have clothes on my back. I have a roof over my head. And if I don't have any one of those, I have the others, you know, and I have this life and this opportunity. And we always have the power of choice, which circles back to, um, in 2014, I, I started to recognize how, scary this climate crisis is for everybody and i don't know if it's because i grew up in colorado and i have kind of earthy cringy parents or just i've been passionate about the planet from a very young age i feel like we have this beautiful planet like they're trying to escape off to mars and i'm like wait a minute you know this planet is perfect for human life water food air and we're destroying it you know so wanting to give people manageable habit you know the habits that they can form over time that have an impact on reducing our impact on climate climate change or impact reduce the severity hopefully of the climate change because it's happening like we're aware it's happening um but we're we've got the, we're in the pivotal time as, as humanity. So that's a very long answer, but <laughs> that's my why. <laughs> how, how does it make you feel? Um, sometimes pure total panic. <laughs> am I in, am I doing the right thing? Should I be doing this? Should I be doing something else? And other times it just feels right. And I keep getting, um, I guess I'd say messages that I'm on the right track. So I've gone through a lot of self improvement work. I've read books, I've done therapy, I've did this landmark forum thing and trying to be the best person that I can be. And one of the things I did was this passion and purpose workshop. And it just helped me solidify that I'm doing what's in alignment with my values and what I've really feel drawn and passionate to do. I don't know if I'm doing it right, <laughs> but, um, and I don't know if I'm inspiring as many people as I think, uh, to be honest with you, I went to bed last night feeling a little wonky and wobbly. And I just said to my husband, I said, I don't know if I'm making a difference. You know, I'm cranking out these mindfulness videos every week for the local elementary school. And I have no idea where it's landing or if I'm helping them or not, you know, and, and he said, you know, yeah, and you may never, and that's probably true. I just hope that 
I used to say if I could even get one child mm. to not choose to take their own life because of the tools that I've taught. And I'm not saying that mindfulness um, is a catch-all for negative thought patterns and whatnot, but I think it does help. I know it helps me and it's helped me get through this pandemic um, mm -hmm. without antidepressants and things. So it's all, it is an interesting one. I mean, and it's such a, as you say, it's such a permanent solution to hopefully what's a temporary problem, you know, and we all know that, right? So things that were last week, last year, 10 years ago, that seemed like the biggest thing ever. And now it's like, I can't even remember what that was, you know, so the, the temperiness of it, but, um, tell me what's, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Well, I think it's a deep passion where you feel drawn to something. Um, it's that thing that keeps coming back, right? The, the, the inspiration or the motivation or passion, whatever label you want to give it, that just keeps coming back. And um, I think you feel it in your heart and deep, you feel it deeply. You know? mm. What do you, do you feel called or do you get the sense that you're called to do something? Are you clear what that is? I suppose so. I mean, my mother is an incredibly talk about fire in the belly. My mother's a, a musician and from the age, very young age, she like maybe eight or five, I don't know. She knew she wanted to be an organ an organist because she had seen the feet moving of an organist at a church or something. And now she's, and she's had her first church job at like 15 and now she's, going to be 79 next week and she's still playing at a church and she she'll complain that she doesn't have as much energy and i'm like mom like you do more in a day at 78 almost nine than most people do so i i grew up in a household with a model of drive like somebody with drive and so i feel like that's in me you know and I've just sort of followed the bread breadcrumbs throughout life. And like, you know, when my husband and I first got together, I didn't think I wanted children. I didn't think he wanted to be married. And somehow he convinced me to do both. And he really wanted four kids. Now we have three. And we both thought that um, I'm getting to the answer of your question. <laughs> we both thought that I would go back to work after our first baby was born. And when they put her in my arms, it was like, I guess it felt like a calling. Like, this is what I'm doing now. And there was no question in my mind. And so then I had to like work it out with my husband. Like, yeah, I'm not going back to work. And the main reason ultimately ended up being, it ended up being perfect is because he's a management consultant and he traveled four days or more a week. And so he was gone more than he was home some, some years. And I really feel like it's better to raise, it was, would be better for me to raise my own, our children rather than like work to pay a nanny to raise our children. And I was digging through some boxes recently and I'm not kidding. Like I used to be like, I'm never getting married and I'm never having kids. 
and I was going through some old boxes and I came across like an old kinder, um, something when I grow up, I want to be, and I had written a mom and I just was like, you know, cause now my children are 20, 18 and 15 and halfway out the house. And it just feels like, especially now that it feels like a blink since they were babies, you know, it does feel like a calling in as far as being a mother. And then the other bits just sort of fell into place. I don't know if they were whispers in my head or if I had just read that article at the right time to be like, right. I just remember when that, when that boy took his own life, I was like, no, no, we've got to do something more. Some, this, there's just something I have something, I have to do something to be a part of the solution to this because I, children can't be taking their own lives. They have the whole, their, their whole lives out of them and who knows what their purpose is and their passion. And if they're not finding it because they feel sad or depressed or blue, or maybe they've got something chemical going on that can be righted with medication or meditation or, you know, support groups, who knows what. Um, yeah. So. What, do you know why it triggered you so much? I'm not saying it I just, the shock of it. I was, mm. I suppose I was naive. My oldest at the time was 12. And I just remember thinking like, he's only two years older than my daughter. And I can't believe that somebody that age would even know how to do, mm. to, to do that. Uh, and I suppose I was naive, but I had gone to the school counselor and said, I want to do something to help make sure this doesn't happen again. And, um, yeah, she just, she hooked me up with a, another student to be her mentor. And I did that for a while. And then, um, and then I just, I can't even remember how I started teaching mindfulness at the school. And then I did that for nine years. <laughs> um, and I've had, you know, a child, one of the students was at, as an eighth grader, here was an eighth grade. Um, she was like, I, I know who you are. And we were doing makeup for a play or something. And I, and she said, I know who you are. She said in sixth grade, when we were in that big room auditorium of 250 kids, I was trying to see how that worked. Um, and she said, I'll never forget something you said. And she said, you said, if you feel uncomfortable closing your eyes, because you're worried about somebody staring at you, close your eyes. And she said, I'll never forget that. And that just changed something in me. And I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. So oftentimes I know, I don't know what I'm going to say. It just sort of comes. So I don't know what that is, but it sort of feels like channeling at times. Um, just the right words. Like before we came on today, I was like, I hope I find the right words. <laughs> because Welcome to my I'll world. I have no idea present. what I'm going to say. It's just, you just turn up and put the microphone on. It's like, what are we going to talk about? I have no idea. <laughs> and exactly. And I, I feel like I'm blathering on, but, uh, no, yeah. Talk, talk to us about mind, mind, mindfulness. Sorry. You know, what, what is it and, and what's the practice or the, or the potential behind it, I suppose. Well, mindfulness is a great buzzword these days. And, um, at least here in the, in the supermarkets, you'll see magazines with mindfulness and wellness and, all kinds of things on the front cover and you'll read articles about it. And, and really all it is, is just getting present in a moment without judgment. So for me, 
uh, it's breath work and ritual and routine, but there's so much more to it. And I teach a course, actually I run through this with the, ch- with the children and the teens, mm-hmm. um, I'll go through all the five senses mm-hmm. of mindful smelling, mindful eating, mindful listening. Um, we do mindful movement and we think about textures and colors and, you know, how different things affect us. So does the sound of a jackhammer outside distract you from being able to focus on your homework? In which case, can you practice some mindful listening and get really present? Or can you turn on some music to help you focus? Um, and not letting things jar us and upset us so much. We get the more we practice it, the more sort of control we have over our our own experience. So in addition to the five senses, we explore different breath patterns. And then over the years, I've learned some people don't like to be told how to breathe. And some people get anxious if there isn't a timer ticking down or not aware of the time or whatever else. Some people aren't comfortable closing their eyes because of trauma. So I try to cater the way I teach the mindfulness to accommodate anyone. So the way I'll share it is, and if you're not comfortable closing your eyes, that's okay. Just try to look down at the floor or at your hands or whatever. And then we get into gratitude and heartfulness and kindness and generosity and all these things that practices that can help us be better people in the world. But it also, there's a feedback loop with that, right? So when we're kind to others, we get a little bit of a kickback of that kindness because it feels good to do good. And with gratitude, I'm, I'm telling you, like, even I, after practicing this for years, have moments where I have a lot of doubt that I'm on the right trajectory and feel like, you know, maybe this isn't, you know, maybe I should just go get a job at Starbucks or something, you know, because what I'm doing isn't necessarily paying the bills yet, but it feels like that calling. It feels like the right thing to be doing. But when I do start having those moments of imposter syndrome or self-doubt, I just come back to gratitude. And like you said, look at a year ago, how much has changed in a year, how far we've come and learned so much. Even, you know, COVID has taught us all so much about ourselves and about you know, being hygienic and being patient, learning how to navigate loneliness and disconnection and, or the opposite, you know, being all crammed into one house when, you know, your children are home and you have to homeschool them. And that's a whole test being able to recognize like, look, I got to step away. And even if you have to go in a closet (laughs) to take a minute, find your center, find your grounding. And, um, So I think mindfulness is recognizing that every single moment of every day, we have a choice and we can choose again and again and again. And it may not always be easy, but we can choose to take a different path. We can choose happiness. We can choose calm. You know, we can step away and not scream at our kids um, or whatever it is. So, yeah. How did the Sustainable Three come about then? Well, I wanted it to be, uh, this is 2014 when I established my dot-com 
And I wanted it to be sustainable me, like despicable me, because I thought that would be cute. And that was already taken. So then I decided to do sustainable three. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. I have three kids. We're the third planet from the sun. It could be three taking three deep breaths. It could be um, changing three habits at a time or three levels of depth for habit forming to be more sustainable. Um, yeah, so it sort of evolved into that. And uh, yeah, it was just because I couldn't use the other one, really. <laughs> but that's okay. Things happen for the right reason, right? Do you, do you believe in fate? Do you believe in divine order or is it just we're just plodding along uh i think some things are fated in the sense of like i said earlier apparently i was fated to be a mom i mean in preschool i used to always be in the playing house <laughs> in the little playhouse uh, um i also used to be a teacher i guess i used to um have a little play school and now i teach uh, I come from a long line of teachers, so maybe that's faded. I'm not sure because I also think that we have choice all along the way. Mm. And that's there's power in that. So one of the things I learned when I did that landmark forum, I was feeling really overwhelmed by being a mother of three in a foreign country where my husband was gone. I think that year he spent more nights in a Marriott than at home because of his work. Three kids. And I that's, felt, that's good going. Yeah, three yeah. seems like a lot, right? Well, here's the kicker. Hmm. My coach had 10 kids. And I was like, wow, she doesn't even have to say anything. And I got it. Like, you think three is hard. <laughs> so I recognized through doing that process that I could leave at any time. I could. I'd be a jerk. You know, it would be really horrible thing to do. But I did have the power to just leave. Mm. I could abandon my children. I could, you know, leave my husband. There, that would be a horrible thing to do. But there was power in that. And recognizing that every day I choose to be a wife and a mom. And every day I choose to continue to encourage people to be more caring about themselves and the planet. And there's power in that. And recognize that power of choice. And it isn't always easy, but if, whether we're fated or not, I do think there is, we do have some control over our path. There is something there, isn't there really? That, that reclamation of the dark side, you know, as you say, it's, <clears throat> we all have options. No matter where and what you're doing in life, we have options, you know, and, and people say, oh, don't talk like that. And it's like, well, there's something about it, right? So once you can say, well, yeah, I've looked at my options and I'm choosing what I'm going to do and I'm choosing what I'm not going to do. And that's, that's different. You know, as a hopes to hoping and praying that it all works out you say, well, I've reviewed my options, both the light and the dark and all the rest. And saying, yeah, this is my choice. This is, this is the way forward. I'm choosing to choose life and choose what I want to do. It's powerful, right? You do see that in, I mean, I think it's with Landmark, they talk about that, don't you? They, they split the story from the, from the fact, you know, which seems to be a very powerful thing to do. And I don't know why that, does that come into mindfulness as well? It's just looking at the energy behind our thoughts. 
Yeah, I mean that that I I bring up the analogy of like the Matrix or Shrek or some of those movies where they go into super slow motion, and I think it sort of gets like that when you really, if you if you meditate for a minute, it especially the kids are like, gosh, that was so long, but a minute can also <laughs> go back by like that, mm -hmm. right? And um, when in that in that presence we can observe something almost like it's sitting in front of us and we can look at it from all sides and go, wait a minute, you know, is this wrong? Was what that person said wrong? I've had situations where um, I thought like I, in response to a text, once I, I slept on my response, I looked up a word to make sure I was speaking very succinctly and my word choice ended up completely backfiring. And I just immediately was like, that's not what I meant. That's not what I said. And I caused this upset unintentionally and um, just couldn't get back to what I meant to say. And I think that's so fascinating because I really was trying so hard to communicate really effectively and I still messed up. So maybe there's some fate in there. Um, but yeah, just taking the time to, but just like in that moment, I was texting with a very good friend. I could feel how upset she was. Like I could feel it in my body through text. And um, it was all about that choice, that power of choice. And she didn't like that I, the way I had said what I said about the choice. And um, she's a very good friend of 24 years and we haven't spoken since August and now it's end of November. And, um, so that's, that's been hard, but it's in, it's, it's crystal. It's a crystallizing experience when you get really present. And instead of making her wrong, I started to see it from her perspective and go, you know, I get why she's reacting this way. And I'm really hoping that her true upset with, doesn't actually have to do with me because I, there's been a clear misunderstanding and that's why we don't have world peace yet. I think because we, we don't know what's going on in other people's heads and what their thought processes are and what their experiences are. Um, I actually listened to a podcast about, there was a, a shooting here in Wisconsin, Kyle Rittenhouse. I don't know if you've heard about this over there. Um, they started out by just taking the facts and in the facts i was like oh i have so much more compassion for him and then they gave the two different political sides of the situation and i immediately felt pulled in one direction and if you think about the news at least here in america everything's politicized and dramatic dramatized to create a reaction and without that taking a pause and going, wait a minute, let's fact check this. Let's look at this from all the different sides. We inevitably get pulled one way or another with our opinions about a topic. So I think it, there could be a lot of power in more people meditating more and getting more present because then maybe they could take a moment when they read something and go, is this fact, is this true? 
Um, and how do I feel about it? Because we have a lot more, I, I think we have a lot more compassion when we just go back to the facts of the, of the case and remove the emotion and the politicizing out of it. Politis, politicization. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's, it's kind of, sometimes feels like, you know, and, and to be principled is, I think is very, for me personally, to have principles, I think it's a fantastic, that's almost a responsibility as a human being. But when it, when it spills over into, you got me started now, <laughs> politicization, I'm going to make up the word. I don't know whether it exists or not. So I don't know that's, if that's a word either. Let's <laughs> say so, it is, but we'll just keep talking confidently. But that politicization of it, you know, that, that aspect, when we lose the run of ourselves or we lose, we step over our own principles or try to affect others with our truth, our principles, that's, that's, I don't know. How does that feel? Is that right? I don't, I don't think it is right, but I don't know where we go from here because they've also studied um, the psychology of politics and the politicians only win as long as there's a divide. So, (laughs) yeah, the psychology of it, it's like we have to feel like there are two sides or at least two sides to an issue, to a problem. There's energy in the contrast, isn't it? But that doesn't mean it's healthy just means there's energy there and that could be good or bad, but yeah. Mm. Tell me this, what's, what's your core values or soul values, whichever way you see it. Be kind, treat others as you would like to be treated, which is not always easy. Mm. Um, yeah, I think kind being kind and, and acknowledging I don't mean to keep talking about landmark, but right after I did landmark, it was like, I could really see people through whatever they were wearing or however their hair was styled or however they smelled, you know, and I could really see the human inside. And I think if we could get more to that space, then treating others as we'd like to be treated, that Mm. golden rule would be much easier. Um, yeah care care about the planet care about each other care if you have means give you know give to others um it's definitely charity is definitely baked into my value system um go through life with an open mind Mm. see what you can learn yeah oh yeah never stop learning (laughs) what was the original plan then with mini liz what was what was she going to do when she grew up well, apparently Minnie Liz wanted to be a mom, but uh, slightly <laughs> older Liz wanted to travel the world and just see, I would have these sort of premonitions when I would see a picture or watch a movie or something about a place. And I'd be like, I'm going to go there someday. And I haven't been everywhere yet, but I sure have enjoyed, like we lived in Australia for four and a half years and I got to feel Australian. Like after four and a half years, you pretty much lose your 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 home culture and you become you feel more like a child of the universe sort of a thing and um 
I really thought I wanted to be, first I wanted to be a flight attendant and then I wanted to be an ambassador to France. <laughs> Why? I think I mentioned in the other interview, I didn't realize you had to know the president to be an ambassador. So that didn't last very long. Uh, yeah, I just, I loved teaching. I loved traveling and just to be able to go different places and smell the air and feel, you know, feel the, the weather and taste the food and meet people. And I just think that's awesome. What does that teach you? What can you learn from that? Mm, well, in the case of living in Australia, it taught me that, wow, America is really America centric, especially with its news. Um, Australia is too, but they're so much more in tune with what's going on globally and getting out of our comfort zone, getting out of our home country helps us um, understand others better. I think that really, I mean, if money was no object or if it was possible, I think that it would be great if all students, maybe high school or early uni or whatever, sometime around early twenties, maybe if they could do study abroad. Um, wow. I mean, the world would be such a different place. I really think that if we could go and put ourselves, it's that whole like walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins thing. Like if we could understand what it's like for them, then maybe there would be less war and conflict and, you know, we could all get on the same page. It seems to me the only, the only time this world ever unites is when we have something and there's movies made about this, right? Something to unite against that whole dichotomy of having to have a good and evil, a light and dark. And I really do feel like the climate crisis is the thing that we could unite about around in America, at least there's this debate as to whether climate change is real <laughs> and whether or not humans actually have that much of an impact. And that's why I'm always very careful to say, reduce our impact on the severity of climate change. Um, I think, I think that maybe there's less judgment if we go and live in other cultures because we can, like I said, see it from their side, but also how do we, but then what do we do with that? Can we come back and teach others? And my experience was after four and a half years in Australia, I came back to America and people didn't really care about my experience. So I had to learn that that was my experience and I own it, but maybe I show up differently because I had that experience. Um, I've also been to Ireland, you know, I kissed the Blarney stone when I was five months pregnant with our first and they were convinced I was going to make me have twins. And I was like, what? That's good so going I, to do that when you, when you're heavily pregnant, it's not easy at the best of times. So well done. Yeah, it wasn't easy, but I've, I, you know, bought a wool sweater because of the moisture and the chill in the air. And, and, um, Previous to that, I've had Guinness, like I was there in 97 for a marath the marathon, um, tasted Guinness. Guinness tastes no better than in Ireland. Um, coffee tastes no better than in Italy. I mean, like it's, I don't know. It's just experiencing the world 
you know, and, and there was a tsunami in, I think, 2008, was it, in Thailand? Mm -hmm. And when we lived in Australia, we went to visit Thailand twice, and, and we had this amazing opportunity, one of the visits, to go tour um, to a temple. We went and went to a temple, and they had all these pictures of these bloated purple bodies in the temple of the people that had died in that tsunami. And that is not something that I'd seen in the news. And it just gave me a whole new perspective on what that experience was like for those people. And I guess it, it, it heightens our sense of compassion too. Yeah. It's huge, isn't it though, that, that level of compassion and connection. And as you say, it is overwhelming that, you know, in some ways you can be overwhelmed with the size of the world and all the change that needs to be done. But yet also you're sort of saying just to change yourself and to change and to help those around you. The ripple effect of that, as you say, there's, there's people you've, you know, you've helped and, and you may never see the ripple. You never know. You don't know what that set off and, and that's okay too, right? Just being okay. Do you like yourself? Do you love yourself? I do now. I just turned 50. And so hey. far, 50 is the best year. 50 has been great. I, I think I was maybe kind of dreading it. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel like what's shifted for me is I, I, you may not know it from this interview, but I've become such a better listener at 50. And as the kids, our kids have started to go off to college and leave the house and I'm like, we did it. Like we did it, you know, and I, and I feel, uh, good about myself and I'm sure I didn't do, do it perfectly, but you know, they're responsible, respectful, they get good grades, they're finding their way. And that feels really good. And my husband and I are in a really good place starting to think about Reinspirement, reinspirement. I don't like calling it retirement. <laughs> uh, Serena and I are very in alignment and focused on our path. And I, my parents are getting older, and I'm extremely aware of the the ticking of the of time, especially as during this time of COVID, a lot of people have lost their loved ones. I I'm very clear that it's a priority for me to spend time with my my parents before they're thankfully they're 20 minutes away and so twice a week i go and spend time with my mother who in january couldn't walk because she re-injured herself and now she's able to walk three miles a day again and i don't know if i had anything to do with that but i feel clear about that so i guess that's one of my values too is family mm. family and friends and caring for a community um I, I think I'm the best version of myself so far. I'm sure there's room for improvement, but very happy with myself. Have you been this version of yourself before? I don't know. I think last time we talked, I said, this is my 648th life. So I don't know. <laughs> it's planning to go, right? Uh, I think I've grown a lot in this lifetime. I keep telling my kids like, I was a jerk in, in college. I was just a horrible person. Uh, I didn't realize it at the time, but um, I wanted to raise them to be considerate and know how to do their own 
clothes washing, dishwashing, you know, pick up after themselves, pick up the tab at a restaurant or whatever. And um, that I, I just realized like, no, I was, I'm not, <laughs> I don't think I have been this, this version of myself before. Uh, maybe when I was very, very little before life and trauma and hmm. stuff. What's, what's the nicest thing someone could say to you? Hmm. Oh, what's the nicest thing here. that somebody could say to me? <laughs> um, thank you, I guess. It would feel good to hear thank you. I don't know. That's a hard one. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> well, happy birthday. There you go. Just, just that, um, I mean, it's not my birthday, but, um, just that I'm doing a good, you know what? The nicest thing somebody could say to me is that I'm, I'm doing a good job because as a mom and an entrepreneur, I haven't had a report card. I haven't had a raise. I haven't had any sort of external acknowledgement to say, you're doing a great job. That would feel good. Mm -hmm. What age do you feel that you are? I think I still feel more like 38, except that I haven't been doing yoga as much. So my joints are kind of creaky. <laughs> so maybe I feel 50. I don't know. I don't know it's weird because uh, I tend to find sort of, a lot of people seem to see themselves as a different age. It's like, yeah, no matter, I mean, I could be 92 or it could be whatever and still they see themselves as this age you know and for me it's probably somewhere between 21 and 27 i'm, I'm neither neither of those ages just for the benefit of those not watching you know listening um but that's it that's, for some reason it seems i don't know the mind seems to just almost hone in on a point and we don't age part mentally we we stick at that that zone does that make sense i wonder if that's sort of when we felt the most um, on, you know, the most energized or the most, I don't know. I, 38 was a great year for me. My grandmother at like 92 used to say she still felt 16 inside. So maybe it's just sort of when, when we have sort of our best, some of our best moments, I don't know. It's mm. a good point. Mm. What are you most So far of? I love 50 though. I mean, I can do more yoga and I'll be less creaky and I can do my <laughs> physical therapy. My knees wouldn't hurt so much, but you know, that's all external stuff. It's the it's the body suit or the meat suit, as they call it. You know, the rest is all good. The meat, the meat <laughs> suit. Yeah. What are you most proud of in your life, or something you are proud of? Mm. I'm proud of my children. They are becoming beautiful human beings. They're really, hopefully, going to do great things. Um, as far as my own personal accomplishments. Hmm. I'm proud that I decided in about 1993 that I was going to run the Boston Marathon. And I'm not a fast runner. <laughs> so I also didn't realize you have to qualify to run the Boston Marathon. And, and um, I'm proud that I finally finished the Boston Marathon. Not because I qualified. 
and not because I'm a fast runner, but because I was fortunate enough to get a job at John Hancock, which was the primary sponsor, probably still is the primary sponsor, and I got on their team. And so I think it's not necessarily about the um, how you make your dream come true. If you still make your dream come true, it still happened. So. I'm proud that I made that dream come true. I also, um, I play the flute and like I said, my mom is a organist and she has played the organ all over the world. She's played in Germany. She's played on the organ in Versailles in, in France twice for goodness sakes. And when we lived in Australia, I called up the Sydney opera house and I said, Hey, my mom's coming down. Any chance we could get her on the organ? And of course it didn't go exactly like that. And they said, yes. So I'm proud of myself for getting my mother on the Sydney Opera House organ because that was pretty special. Um, what I'm she proud play? of my husband because he's a devoted husband and father. Hmm. Um, yeah. Should what I keep going? Or? <laughs> That's great. Listen, it's great to be. And this is the thing is people are not always good at saying the things they're proud of. I mean, it is like gratitude, right, for things that's happened and things that haven't happened too. But um I'm curious, what did your mother play in the, in the great opera house? Oh, oh my gosh, I don't remember, but she had a whole program. This is my mother, right? She had a printed out program. Um, of was various... this with an audience or were you just, just playing away at the, at the organ? It was with... a small audience. Hmm. Um, have you been there? No, I never have actually. Dance? Okay, well, you've probably been in auditoriums before. Mm -hmm. So if you imagine big empty auditorium, but then there were, I don't know, maybe we had six people, friends who had come along and our kids running in the aisles. And my husband was mortified because um, they were like three and three, five and seven or something. Rules don't um, count to them. That's okay. <laughs> but the tours, they were to bringing in tours. So there were tours of groups of people that would come through. So that was kind of cool. But no, it wasn't a formal concert. It was just an opportunity. So mm. and that was okay. <laughs> yeah, that's well, that's it's all that's what's all about, right? Creating opportunities, creating ideas and solutions for people. You know, it's what what do you think you're capable of? Do you have any idea? Well I used for a while there I thought I was capable of anything. But I think their limitations are actually a good thing. Um, I think I'm capable of inspiring people. I've been told that I'm in people's heads, <laughs> especially around recycling. And my friends will be like, Liz, you're in my head. Um, so I'm definitely capable of getting in people's heads. Um, but I'd rather be remembered for inspiring people to think about things differently and maybe change their habits and be open to trying things that work for me, especially my children. I would love it if they would, instead of going, mom, breathing doesn't work for me, <laughs> be open to trying what, cause the, 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 what I teach, the meditation, the breath work, the gratitude practice um, is what I do every day, making sure I exercise every day is what keeps me above the line out, you know, on the surface of the water, so to speak. And so I'd love to know that I'd made a difference for some people. Mm. That would feel good. 
What's on the bucket list for you then? What's a few things we can put out there into the universe? Well, I used to want to set foot on every continent, but that's not as much of a priority now with climate change. And I think um, living our best lives. Having said that, I'd love to get to India. I've never been to India. I'd love to explore parts of Asia, more parts of Asia. I'd love to get back to Europe with our kids. And um, I've done a lot. Like I've I've surfed, I've skied, I've scuba dived and all these things. Um, I'd like to fly an airplane just because that would be a neat experience. I might actually try skydiving. But ultimately, just continue to enjoy this life, you know, as much as possible. I would like to get my book published because <laughs> I wrote it in 2009 and still not published. Um, and yes, I know I could self-publish, but that's not the same. Um, I have a list that I make every day. Uh, I would like a carbon neutral household. We're working on it. We're almost there. We just got solar. I would like an electric car to go with the solar because that would be fun. And, you know, I'd love to bike around wine country and I'm trying to think of what all is on my list. Just enjoy this life, you know, fully open. I'm open for adventure. Mm. Is there a certain mantra or a certain set of rules that you live by? Well, I usually come back to be kind to myself and others. Um, I keep reminding myself of, um, you know, my, if my role is to inspire others, then I need to remind myself, like, be inspiration. So it's not inspiration. It's not inspiring when you have a meltdown. It's not inspiring when you're judgmental. So catching myself. Yeah, but be kind. Yeah, kid, kids can still push your triggers, though. <laughs> I don't care how zen you are. Kids can, <laughs> can just dive right past all that. Right. And they'll tell you that I am not, you know, they'll be like, oh, you teach this stuff, but I'm at home. And I guess that's what shifted for me with 50 is I feel more grounded in myself. I feel like I am more able to keep my temper under control. I feel like I am able to come back to that breath. If I'm nervous, that deep belly breathing, just like, I don't have to say something. I don't, I don't even have to necessarily deal with, you know, sometimes walking away is the most powerful thing or just remaining quiet. Um, one thing I realized about my kids and this is a good thing to know is that um, they'll be well-behaved for others. And then at home, they completely fall apart. And I finally realized that's because they're comfortable and they feel safe to do so. So I try to, when they're having their meltdowns, I try to let them have their meltdown, let them get it out of their system, have a big cry or yell in the car, or punch the pillow, whatever they need to do. Because if they're being good out in the world, that's probably more important. And if they're being kind to others, that's probably more important. Maybe they need a cry. You know, that whole crying releases manganese. And when it builds up in your system, it increase, increases your cortisol stress hormone. So yeah, cry, you know, um, and just try to be good to, to them. Cause I haven't always 
been the best to them necessarily. Sometimes being that mother of three in another country when my husband was gone a lot was really challenging. And so I haven't always been my best self with them and probably didn't model the model, the best behaviors. So, you know, being able to accept people where they are in their journey and give them a space to cry, <laughs> talk it out, you know, ask questions. What's going on for you? Mm. There's a great book. Oh, um, it's something like how to speak, how to listen. So kids will speak and how to speak. So kids will listen or something like that. And it's very much like the way you run your interviews. Mm -hmm. Like you just like make them feel heard and then they just tell you everything. And my kids tell us everything. Sometimes things we don't necessarily want to know. <laughs> but it's great. Yeah. I mean, that's, that is a blessing to have your home as a safe space, right? That, you know, as you say, it's like, yeah, don't, don't need all the details, but but flip side is, as you say, that's the place where they feel safe enough to break down, safe enough to bring home problems or safe enough to talk about something that others don't. I mean, that, that's a, yeah, that, that's a real blessing. That's an honor to have that. Yeah. And I know that not all families have that. And so I guess what I would encourage parents to do is to really think about your children as these perfect, like we all come out perfect, whole and complete. And then we end up with trauma and stories and experiences that mess us up. And then we end up with these stories in our head that alter the way we show up in the world. And if we could treat our children more like the perfect beings that they are, and maybe they'd show up as, you know, more perfect, not perfect, whatever, um, more authentic, more kind, more open to you know, not being the bully or, you know, or somebody is being a bully, knowing that they're, they're good inside, like they're good, like reinforcing their inner strength. And that's where that resilience piece comes in. You know, if somebody says you're, you know, something unkind and is it true? Maybe that would be the question to ask. Is it true? Is it, is that a fact? You know, and if, um, if it's not, then what do you do with that? Right. And so I, I used to coach and I still coach the, the mindfulness kids that I, I have a club now at the middle school, you know, there's three very powerful words that you can say if somebody's being mean to you, that's not okay. That's not okay. And showing up, you know, bullies react to strength. So showing up, but I would say for parents getting back to my point of, you know, a lot of families, there, there is a lack of security. Sometimes it's food insecurity. Sometimes it's income insecurity. And really to survive and thrive through that, families need to, to stay together. And it's not always easy. And so if parents can just allow themselves some space to be human and vulnerable and share, you know, what we're going through is kind of scary. And I really need for you to be kind right now. I really need you to be quiet right now or whatever it is. Um, that's one of the things that I think we've done with our kids is we talk to them like they were people and they've shown up as people with all, like you say, warts and all, mm. <laughs> uh, but I don't want to make light of the fact that there are people that are really struggling out there. They can't make their rent. They can't, you know, pay their mortgage. They can't make their car payment to get to work or, you know, they don't live close to the bus stop to get to work. And maybe they lost their job because they had got COVID and missed 10 days and hearing all these 
really challenging stories. So if we can come back to the fact that, well, if we had children, you know, we love, we love them on some level, we love them forever and always, you know, no matter what they do or what happens. If we can come back to that, come back to love, we get through anything, you know? Hmm. It comes back to choice too, doesn't it? It's, you know, you got to choose that that's, that's the way you want to be or where you want to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of where, where do you see yourself? I'm in the basement of my house in Denver, <laughs> Colorado. <laughs> in years Can you to say come. that a different way? Yeah. Do you, and do you have a vision? Do you have a, I suppose a, a viewing or a, just a sense of where you're going to be? Do you have that? Do you, do you get that? And, and when you're working with other people, do you get in, are you quite intuitive with other people? I do feel like I'm intuitive with other people. I'm incredibly sensitive. I, if I had to label myself, I'd say I'm an empath. And so I can actually feel other people's energies. And um, as far as where I see myself, like on the trajectory of my work and my life, um, sometimes I feel like I'm, we're just like, especially Serena and I with our well, wellness course collection, like we're on the verge of just really soaring. And other times I'm like, oh, what am I doing? But it seems like there's that follow the breadcrumbs thing. And it, it just really feels right. Like I said, I keep getting these sort of messages um, in different ways. Uh, and I think we talked about before about like the weird number thing. Like you see double, triple, quadruple numbers all the time, which is if you Google it, it's sort of like you're on the right path. And so I see myself about to take off with like going bigger with the work that we do. And <clears throat> I think it's, it's was kind of a powerful choice, but maybe a scary choice to merge the mindfulness with the sustainability. Cause I see it as mindfulness. It's all mindfulness, like being mindful about not throwing litter on the ground or choosing to pick up trash or mm. choosing to recycle something or, or choosing to reuse, like using a reusable water bottle, making that choice. That's mindfulness, you know, showing up the air, at the airport with an empty water bottle so you can fill it on the other side of security instead of buying a single use plastic bottle that might end up in that plastic ocean island um, is a choice. But that's mindfulness, you know, it's all mindfulness. And so I think that the fact that mindfulness has become more more of a buzzword, more popular, more people are thinking about it and and maybe changing their ways to be be more that way. <clears throat> and um, I hope that I get to be part of that. I, I recognize that it's a very full, you know, I've walked into a crowded room of a bunch of other people that are teaching mindfulness and sustainability. But um, hopefully the way I I bring it and Serena and I bring it to the world resonates with people in a different way. Like I'm very, we are both very focused on bringing the science behind it. So it takes the woo woo factor out and um, maybe that's where we cross a threshold towards more people being more mindful. And then maybe that, that goal of, world mm. peace or whatever it looks like everyone getting along with each other better maybe less chance of mutually assured destruction 
um, will be a possibility. And maybe we can slow down this climate change crisis that's going down so we can reset. We know because during the lockdown that the planet will be fine. Humans might be screwed, but the planet <laughs> will be fine. So if we want to have a continued life on this planet, which is the only planet that we know of that supports human life, we need to take care of it. So I hope to be part of that conversation. Mm -hmm. I have to get, I hope to get in more people's heads. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. So give us a glass of water, drink yeah. of water. So give us a bit of a, um, a, a background then. So the, 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 the course that you're doing together with, with Serena there. So it is, you talk about that winning wellness, you know, that sort of that experience for people. So give us a bit of background, what the intention is there and what is exactly you do for people. Well, in, we joined forces at the end of 2018 and through 2019, we started doing these workshops where we merged. So I teach about mindfulness and sustainability, and she teaches about resilience, happiness, and visioning. And our goal was to dovetail and merge all of our teaching, all of our learnings, all of our experience. We've both done a ton of work on ourselves and read a bunch of books and watched a bunch of videos and done a bunch of courses. And what we've, what we're trying to do in this winning wellness experience presentation is an efficient presentation of a little bit of the science behind what we teach for, um, uh, authenticity. That's not the word I'm looking for, but to bring it in a way that people are like, okay, I don't need to question this. There's fact, there's science behind it. And then give people tools that they can do every day so that it becomes part of their routine, part of their day, like the way you probably get up and brush your teeth or you get up, eat breakfast, have a cup of coffee, brush your teeth. Like there's something that you do every day, you know, and what for, at least for Serena and me, every day we get up, we, she calls hers, her RPM recipe meditate, but we get up, we take care of the, you know, the human functions, and then we go and meditate. And I think we both meditate for about 30 minutes in the morning. And then for me, I know it's a gratitude. So it's making a list of five things I'm thankful for. And then I have my 17, I say 17 goals and dreams I'm making happen. And I write them out every day. And there's science around that too. They've shown that if you write down a goal, that it's more likely to come true. <clears throat> the part that I think is our, our hook or our unique offering is the visioning piece. So the, the mindfulness, the happiness and resiliency and science of well-being is all backed by science. And the part that's a little out there, but they're starting to prove it with a little bit of science, like I said, is this visioning piece. So you create, you set a goal for yourself and then you don't worry about the how it's sort of like they say about like, you know, if you ever want to go somewhere in a destination, you're going to put the address into the GPS and the GPS will get you there. And so we write, okay, what's the pie in the sky dream. And then like, what's one step you could take towards that dream. And then there, there are actually 10 steps, but she covers three in our course collection. And, and so we're just, the goal is to get that out to as many people as possible, but especially to support moms like me who maybe felt overwhelmed and recognize like it can be as simple as like going into the bathroom and taking three deep breaths and then coming back out. And then I can, then I can deal with my crazy five and three year old twins, you know? Um, 
and also like how we show up in the world, like before you go into a meeting or before you go on Zoom. Can you take a second to take a slow, deep breath and, and acknowledge who you want to show up as? You know, who do I want to show up as in the world? And again, I think we both teach this stuff because we've been through this stuff. And, you know, we've both had some near-death experiences or scary things that have happened. And maybe it's clumsiness and maybe it's like the universe pounding us over the head. Like, don't be dumb. For me, it brought life lessons uh, around how powerful of a manifester I am and um, how there were little whispers of like, you really should look before you cross the street with your bike before I shattered a windshield with my head, you know, um, listening to that intuitive voice. We're all born with intuition. And so through the mindfulness and resiliency training, we can be like, I call it flipped the flip the script. We can be sh prepping and resetting. We can be um, taking a minute, whatever you want to call it, but we don't have to be feeling like other things are controlling our lives, even when it's almost you know, I had a, almost died three times or had a scuba accident scare. And, um, you know, we don't have to make things mean things that they don't mean. Sometimes it's just like, well, you didn't pay attention to that little intuitive whisper. And sometimes like losing a job or losing a family member or losing a, like I lost my best friend at age 35. It, 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 it there's a lesson in there. There's a, there's an opportunity for growth. And so getting people to remove the judgment and remove the resentment and go, where is the lesson in here? And what can I do with this? And how can I proceed through life powerfully? That's our goal. So I think our primary, uh, our goal, our target customer would be moms, parents, um, maybe dads, uh, who are maybe struggling through this time. And then we would love to work with organizations, corporations, schools, frontline workers, medical workers who are probably really struggling right now and giving them these scientifically proven tools to reset. It's beautiful. What, a, what an amazing mission, you know, and I, I salute you guys for, you know, for doing that, because as you said, it is something I think so many people need these days. It's, you know, for the last whatever 18 months 24 months has taught us so much which we can be very grateful for but it's also it's come with sharp and harsh lessons too which you know it all it all needs filtered and processed right you know that's the that's the thing about it you know it's a misperspective we can say that it's been an opportunity or we can say it's been the worst thing ever so who are we who knows who knows it's um yeah What's what's a wee guilty pleasure for you there, Liz? Mm. Well, lately it's Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, with wine, with gosh, chocolate, with crisps. Ted, yeah, uh, chocolate, wine. Uh, Ted Lasso. If you haven't watched Ted Lasso, oh my gosh, pay for Apple Plus, whatever it is. So good. Like he's just putting positivity out in the world. Um, but yeah, dark chocolate, good wine, a really good meal, time with my husband, snuggling on the couch. Um, yeah, all those things. And where, where is your place of inspiration then? Where do you go to go and get topped up consciously or unconsciously? 
Well, I live in Colorado, so this one's a hard one because really my true place to reset and charge up is the ocean. But if I can't do that, because thankfully the oceans haven't risen so much that we have ocean in Colorado yet, <laughs> um, getting out in nature. So when I really, like if I'm sitting too long on Zoom or I'm really struggling, if I can go move my body, go for a walk. Um, we have a park near our house, so we'll just go walk around the park and it's about three miles all in. And um, sometimes it's just a walk around the block, but then it's looking up at the sky, even if it's gray, breathing in fresh air, um, just getting out in nature. And if I can get up to the mountains, that's pretty special too, so. Mm. Oh, lovely. So tell us if you could describe your fire in your belly in one or two words, what would the be, Liz? Hmm. Fire in my belly. Two words or three words? Because really it's be the change. That I think it was Gandhi, be the change mm. you wish to see in the world. You can have three. Most people take about 40. So yes. <laughs> if we're debating between two or three, I could I can live with that. That's okay. I think that so so yeah so the fire I'm working towards is and and I don't do it every day and I don't do it every moment of every day but be try to be that change you want to see in the world because that's where you have the biggest impact hmm. and I've learned I that's where I have the biggest impact yeah what's what's the one thing you'd love to say but quite often can't oh gosh <laughs> Uh, well, okay. Can I tell you a little story? Please. Um, there are two things that trigger me very, very badly. One is when people leave the water running and one is when people leave their car engines running because I'm just like, I, I'm just aware of the waste of, you know, the water and the, the pollution going into the air. And yesterday there was a man in front of our house, a worker uh, working on the house across the street and he had his car engine just running and he's sitting in his car and he's eating his lunch. And I just wanted to say, turn your engine off. And I used to do that. Like our neighbors across the street used to warm up their cars and I would get so angry inside. And I would just be like, God, don't you know, like you're just polluting the air and my, on my block. And yesterday I went and got these two um, granola bars and I brought them over to the, and I waved in the window and he put his window down and I handed them and I said, I thought you'd like some dessert with your lunch. And I said, and would you mind turning your engine off? Cause it's just polluting the air. And he was like, Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. And he turned off the engine. I thought what a better way to show up, but that's what I, I'd love to say that I, I try not to say, which is like, turn off your car engine, <laughs> turn off the water. <laughs> Um, my kids will tell you that I say it all the time in the house, but, um, yeah, that, but I'm learning how to show up more kindly. Mm. <laughs> I love that. It's like, yeah, we still, we all have to be mindful still is like, what I really want to say is this, but I'm going to go get something sweet and we're going to do this right. <laughs> and that was a first because my sister, my sister the other day was like, there was something similar that happened the other day. And she was like, take them cookies. And I was like, Arr. and then, and then I thought, yeah, that would just throw him off so much that maybe he wouldn't get angry when I'm like, would you turn your engine off? Mm. <laughs> you know. 
<laughs> so yeah oh very true very true well you see there you go it's another little ripple in the in the universe you know so do we get to know what your book's ever going to be called my book is called fidelity and it's a semi-fiction book about a, a woman who's married with children but has fantasies about other men um, and she goes through her whole life and she remains faithful and then when her husband dies and she's in her sort of mid seventies, she meets a new love online. And it's sort of exploring like what it's like to date when you're in your mid seventies using like a, a dating app <laughs> type thing. Wow. Um, and like I said, it's sitting on the shelf. So I, I might put it out there, but I have some other book ideas that are brewing. So mm, very good. <laughs> the, the creative side of you is just bursting to come out. So, Dallas says, where can people learn more to find you, hunt you down, stalk you, any of the above? I have a website at sustainable3.com and it's T H R E E, so sustainable three.com um but really i'd love it if people would check out that winningwellness.learnworlds.com because that's where our we've put our hearts and souls into the into making that a really juicy course collection but if anyone's interested in the blog about sustainable living i have some tips and tricks up there and if they wanted to follow me on instagram I am sustainable three on Instagram and Facebook, and I have a YouTube channel. If anyone's interested in some of the mindfulness I do when we went into lockdown, I did 60 days, every single day, mindfulness videos that are all up on YouTube at sustainable three. And I have a couple sustainability videos up there, like how to uh, line dry clothes and how to recycle properly and really exciting topics like that. <laughs> Very good. I love it. Love it. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with our listeners? Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate the opportunity to, to share what I, what I do. And I guess I would just encourage people to find, find their fire in their belly, find what you love and pursue it with gusto and be kind. Always be kind. Okay. Liz, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you. I appreciate you for coming back on and sharing. And um, listen, we wish you all the best for the future. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that the people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon. And it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.